Next Chapter Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This sounds like every Martin Scorsese movie. You know I'm right, it is. Be My Baby by the Ronettes, featuring Veronica Kaka. Did you guys understand that? Because what I was saying is that this sounds like every scene from every Martin Scorsese movie made in the gangster genre. Man, it just takes you all the way back to the days of celluloid. Y'all know what I'm talking about. What's up, you kadoogly spooglies? It's Be My Baby. It's by the Ronettes of their 1964 album, Presenting the Fabulous Ronettes, featuring Veronica. It's also number 422 out of 500 on the Spotify Ridge, the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. Hey, everybody. What's up, Fleece Army? What's up, you true dooks? What's up, you kadoogly doogly, spoogly spooglies? I don't know about y'all, but I think this week's album was a wang zuki. I hope everybody's doing okay. I'm doing great, man. Dude, this is fun. This is fun. I'm telling you guys, we're doing this whole girl group subsection of the list. We have the Supremes. We have the Ronettes right now. And then next week, we have the girl groups, like the best of the girl groups, right? If you are struggling with depression during this time, or you know somebody that is struggling with depression, give them these records. Give them the Supremes. Definitely give them the Ronettes because this is a total... There is no schluffy. You are not feeling schluffy at all when you listen to this. And then the girl groups is just hit after hit after hit. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, man. I'm really trying to absorb these records. So uh, sending everybody my love. But Fleece Army, I have tried something new this week. Usually I will read this whole thing about the artist. And I'm still going to read it, but I'm reading it with the guests this week. I wanted to see how that felt to go over shit because there's a lot of shit that they don't know. So I was like, let's fucking just move it into the show and let's just comment on it as we read it. And I've got a real fan, a person that picked this record when we gave them the list. And I couldn't be more excited to have Zainab Johnson on the podcast this week. You guys know Zainab for being one of the hosts of 100 Humans on Netflix. Her brand new show on Amazon, Upload, just came out May 1st. She's an incredible stand-up comic. And like I said, man, is a Ron Nets fan. And all the little kadoogly spooglies out there, you guys know, you want somebody that digs the record. Means something to them. Booyah, booyah, time to do ya. 
Raid, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow our Facebook group, The 500 Podcast with Jam, and The 500 Podcast fan page. Yeah, there's two of them. Thanks, Evan. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, guys, not left to say, but here we go with number 422 out of 500 with presenting the fabulous Ronettes featuring Veronica by the Ronettes. Be my little You know what's so funny about trying to sing that song for you was that all I could hear while I was doing it, once I found out that Ronnie Spector sang the Be, La- Be My Little Baby line in Take Me Home Tonight by Eddie Money, that's all I can hear. Do you know, you know that song I'm talking uh, about? I know, I don't. So they go, you know, take me home tonight. Oh, yes, yes, yes. There's a part in it for years where Eddie Money, in the song, he goes, just like Ronnie sings. And then she comes up, Ronnie Spector sings, be my little baby. I had no idea that was Ronnie Spector uh, until I started breaking down this record. But for some reason, trying to sing your name in, all I could hear was Eddie Money in my ear. (laughs) Which is a great song. You know what's so funny? What? She was only married to... um, uh, what's his Ron, Spectre what's Phil his Spectre, first name Phil Spectre yeah Phil Spectre she was only married to him for like four years but somehow she has his name forever well cause he was the shit back then and then she got to know him and was like this motherfucker is crazy like, yeah, oh yeah but we'll get into that yeah, he yeah, was yeah, crazy yeah. <laughs> I feel like you already went through my production notes by doing that you're like Josh save that for a little bit so so Zainab like we 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 were talking about trying to get you on. We gave you the list, and your manager came back and said, "Ron Nets, we didn't have to coax you or anything." So, which is, to me is kind of like mind blowing because I just would have never assumed that someone my age or in my ballpark would have picked the Ron Nets as the album they wanted to break down. So, so tell me why this was your choice. Okay, so I grew up in like a really strict Muslim household. So I didn't hear music, period. Like the first album I ever heard, I was a little kid. I was at my grandmother's house and it was What's the 411 by Mary J. Blige. I was, you know what's funny? I was hoping you were going to say, first song I ever heard was My Humps by Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> I was like, really? That's the first one? Yeah, they kept, they kept a really tight thumb on top of me I couldn't hear shit <laughs> <laughs> but but I remember I growing up in Harlem I had this neighbor who lived below me which was an old lady like a senior citizen and every summer her granddaughter used to come from Florida and stay with her for the summer but her granddaughter didn't have any friends and the lady was too old to play with her so I would go downstairs and play with her and she had this record player yeah. and on a record player would be like records with like the top Motown hits the top hits of the 60s the top hits of the 70s like 30 years before my time, you know, yeah. before my time. Um, and that's, and I think that's how I got on like the Ronettes, the Temptations, the Supremes, the, you know, just all of those groups from 
The early days. Which is funny that, that you said just all of those groups because last week we did the Supremes anthology. This week we have the Ronettes. And then next week we have all of the girl groups in the best ah. of the girl groups. So if I ever could have gotten a smash course on, I don't even know what you would call this, like doo-wop or, or soul or Motown or or just, it's the but it's this style of music that is so important to Americana, I feel like it's just as American as something like baseball or jazz. Do you know what I mean? It's so original. It's so American. Absolutely it is. But I would say it's even more than American. I think it's it's one of the things that allowed, that, that kind of united the world at times. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, especially when you're seeing, you know, let's, let's we talk about the Supremes. You're seeing, you know, three beautiful black women in the 60s -hmm. just you know uh, just be you know be strong and say i don't fucking need a man or you better respect me or whatever the fuck it is and then you have the ronettes which i'm gonna fuck this up but i think ronnie is like a mix of like five different races which in in 1964 when this is released has got to be a shock to a lot of of white audiences when they hear these songs like god it's like I love this song, but my, my my engraved Southern racism wants me to hate them, you know? Yeah. And they're going and touring, you know, the states doing this. So this is, I think this is bigger than just the music. Okay, so I went to high school in East Harlem, and East Harlem is known for a very big, like, Spanish community. So I thought, I thought that the Ronettes were Spanish. Like, I found out later that they were... Irish and African American and Native American and, and a whole bunch of different I mean, Chinese Filipino, like yeah, a, Filipino. yeah like a lot like a lot um but I thought that they were Spanish and so for me like Dominican or Puerto Rican and for me to think that there was like a doo-wop or pop or R&B girl group in the 60s that were his, of Hispanic descent that kind of blew my mind yeah because yeah. I feel like the first Spanish artist I ever heard of was Selena really <laughs> Tell me another Spanish artist. Were you also, like I said, the wolf, all right. I was Uh, born in the 80s, though. When were you born? I was born in 79, so I grew up in the... I I got one month of the Carter administration. That's what I got. Okay. And then I... I, But I mean, me, I guess my first real Spanish artist would be like Menudo, because they were so big when I was a kid. But what's funny about the Ronettes is I only knew... Be my baby before this, or at least that's the only one that I knew. Could, I could go, oh, that's the Ronettes when I heard it. Did you? But you know what? what? That's all you need to know because every single song sounds the same. Very no shade. Similar. Yeah. No, I know you're not throwing. No shade. It's, yeah, it's a hundred percent. Well, there's there's a vibe I think to this record to all the girl groups. You know, I I said the same about the Supremes. I was like, you know, a lot of these songs they found a method of how to write a song. And they just were like, let's just crank out as many of this as, you know, dude, it's it's like Instagram butt models. Like once they got 10,000 likes on showing a picture of their butt in the thong, they were like, let's just duplicate that in a different setting. Do you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what? I think the music is like that. I think that that's like the beauty of music that you can, when people find a sound they like, you can give them that sound over and over yeah. and over again because it sparks the nostalgia of the first time they heard that sound that they like. But now on the flip side, if a comedian told like the same type of joke all the time, if they just like replace the subject matter, people would be like, 
okay, no, we don't want to hear an hour of this. Yeah. We don't, you know? Does yeah. that make sense? No, 100%. But music, I think, works a little bit different than comedy because comedy is all about the surprise. Exactly. And, you know, there, there's, some, there's something very powerful, I think, about the Ronettes. So, like I said, this is my first uh, deep dive. Had you, had you heard all of the songs on this record prior to this? No, I heard like, I knew, I knew like three or four of their songs, but definitely, um, be my baby was definitely the, yeah, that's the one. I don't think I, I I think that my first time hearing it, it, cause it's such a catchy song. It's such an easy song. You, you hear it the first time you feel like you've heard it a hundred times. Yes. But, but I didn't even know it was the Ronettes. Like that's, that's also me and music. I know a lot of songs. I can't tell you if it's the Temptations <laughs> or if it's, I was about to say Bobby Brown. I don't mean that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or James Brown. Like I can't tell you if it's the Supremes or the Ronettes, although I do know the, the song. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. You, and also, by the way, you can always tell if it's Bobby Brown because you can hear the sound of him sweating <laughs> in the recording. I think you Bobby can hear Brown. the leather rubbing. The leather rubbing, <laughs> the sweaty sweat. He's the sweatiest musician I've ever seen in my life uh, probably next to James Brown well so I didn't really know a lot about the Ronettes neither so all right so let's find out a little bit about the Ronettes all right so first of all this record came out November of 1964 produced uh by I feel like you gotta have it's like you say like a boxer it's like you know, it'd be like, you know, Mike, Iron Mike Tyson. It needs to be like crazy Phil Spector from all the shit that we know <laughs> about this guy. And this this is the only record that they ever put out. This is it. This is their debut studio record and the yeah. only studio record. Um, go ahead. You know what I found really interesting? I'm sorry. Uh that it's the Ronettes featuring Veronica. That that always was very strange to me. Yeah. Cause- Cause I don't know the way I get it. It was like there was the Supremes at first, and then it became Diana Ross and the Supremes. But then it, when it's Ronettes featuring Veronica, it's like actually it's featuring the Ronettes. Veronica is singing everything. She's everything. Yeah. Well, see, that's that's the whole thing that uh, I think something like them and the Supremes have in common is that they or something like fucking In Sync, and that they just broke up before it became Justin Timberlake and In Sync. It's just like you find mm-hmm. the star. That's the person that is, dude. It's Beyonce. It's like yeah. you knew Beyonce was the star of Destiny's Child the second you saw any of their music videos. She's gorgeous. Yeah. She sticks out. She has that, you know, the Kavorka, as they called it in in Seinfeld, that Kramer had. That just uh, people are attracted to them. And I think, I you yeah. know, I haven't seen a lot of video on Ronnie or really watched any interviews. But I mean, Diana Ross. Sticks out. Beyonce sticks yeah. out. So, so, but th- we'll, we'll, we'll get to why it became that. So, okay. Uh, so basically, this was a multiracial Spanish Harlem, New York trio of who we talked about Veronica or Ronnie Bennett, her older sister Estelle, and their cousin Nedra Talley. And they had been singing in harmony together since they were kids. In fact, their singing family act originally included Nedra's sisters Elaine and Diane and their male cousin Ira. But after a 1957 performance at an amateur night at the Apollo Theater in New York, Ira froze up 
and couldn't sing his part of Frankie Lyman and the teenagers. Why do fools fall in love? So Ronnie took over and gained the confidence to front the group. What? Yo, guys always freeze up. Yeah, we That's do. how Tina Turner got her break. That is how Tina Turner got her break. Tina Turner kept saying, well, Anna Mae kept saying to Ike, let me sing. Let me sing. Ike was like, no, you're not ready. You ain't the star. You ain't ready. She was like, let me sing. And then whoever it was, I forget the guy's name, was supposed to show up at that studio session yeah. to sing the song and he never showed up and Ike was like, all right, Tina, we're going to let you cover it. And then everybody that heard it was like, you got to let Anna do this song. And he was like, I'm going to call her Tina and we're going to put the song out. I can Tina Turner. It always takes a guy not showing up for women to shine. <laughs> it's so horrible, but it's true. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing at that. I'm just like, because I'm also thinking about any big comedy showcase I've ever done where it's like, all right, don't shit the bed on this, Josh. You got it. And then I shit the bed. <laughs> And then some some girl goes up and just fucking crushes. And I'm like, how is that? Why did I don't understand? And, and it's just, you know, who fucking knows? It's just I think women, women have a stronger, you know, confident inside, I think, than than men do. I don't know. It's like men are confident. We, we just the- we just we get things done that's just it just what it is when it boils down to it it's not about like she you know we might have the same amount of nerves we might have the same amount you know same thing that prohibits us but we're like oh something needs to get done okay yeah, yeah. all right but all right so moving on ira <laughs> elaine that you because you summed it up perfectly all right moving on so ira elaine and diane were out and Ronnie Estelle Nedra started earnestly taking vocal lessons twice a week and began calling themselves the Darling Sisters before changing it to Ronnie and the Relatives. So, yeah, so she they got shine right away. They knew Ronnie right away. They put her right up front. In 1961, after playing local parties and dances, they got a deal with Colpix Records and put out a few singles that went nowhere. Then, this shit is fucking dope. I, I've already read this. You'll love this. Then, a break happened when the underage girls tried sneaking into New York's hip peppermint club. They were mistaken for dancers and brought on stage behind the house band. But when the mic got past to Ronnie, she belted out some Ray Charles and they got the job of the dancers with some singing. So they just were it. You talk about the right place at the right time. Like, I remember one time I was doing Hollywood Improv and it was Comedy Juice. I was a newer comic. And the guy that booked it, I forget his fucking name, just walks up to me. He's like, hey, man, a comic dropped out. I was like, I'm going to need you next. And I mean, literally, it could have been anybody that was standing there because I had 30 seconds to make up my mind. He was frantic. The other guy wasn't there. He saw me. I guess I, I, I was putting on some form of confidence. But like in the inside, I was sweating like profusely because I was so nervous because it was the first time I ever did Comedy Juice. So, I mean, that's just, like, dress the part, looking professional, and then throwing them up there. I think it always happens like that. I think it's always a case of luck meeting preparation. Yeah. You know, like it's a lot of people that end up in situations or end up at that the most opportune moment in their life, but they're just not ready to step into it. But when you have that, that person or those people that are ready to step into it, they're going to catapult. There's just no yeah. way around it. Yeah, stars stars are destined to be stars. It doesn't, it's just the universe is working in their favor if they believe it. So, 100%. Yeah. All right, from there, they changed their name to the Ronettes, put out a few more ignored singles, got another high-profile regular New York club gig as dancers before becoming backup singers and then began performing as themselves. 
And with their evolution came their widely iconic onstage look of overdrawn eye makeup, huge teased up hairdos. I think this right there, without the Ronettes, you don't have Amy Winehouse. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When I, I, I never really searched them that much before, but I noticed that when I was searching them the past week, that a lot of comparison with Amy Winehouse came up. And, oh, I, and I never thought about that, but once I saw it, I was like, oh, that's right on the nose. It's, it's 100% Amy Winehouse. All right. By 1963, they were done being unsuccessful with Colpix Records, so Estelle called up producer Phil Spector to ask to audition for his Phyllis label. Phil agreed. And after he heard their acapella version of Why Do Fools Fall in Love, he jumped up from his seat and shouted, that's it, that's it, that's the voice I've been looking for. Although he only wanted Ronnie, which I guess because he heard the recording, (laughs) her mom said they only came as a group, so Phil signed the Ronettes to his label. Um, That is just a dope fucking mom just being like, no, 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 (laughs) baby, we all getting paid. We are all getting paid. Uh, it's always like that. It's always like that. Like, you want this one, you're going to take this whole clan of people. You can't oh, yeah. get one without, the, I mean, think of everyone. It's like no. Nelly. It's like Nelly. He was like, nah, man, you taking, you taking Murphy Lee. You taking all the St. Louis <laughs> lunatics. We exactly. all making it. Exactly. <laughs> that way you don't have to share your pay. Oh, 100%. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. All right, after recording one single that Spectre wouldn't release, he put out their next four songs and credited them to the popular vocal group, The Crystals. But then they recorded one of many Phil wrote with Jeff Barry and L.A. Greenwich called Be My Baby. It went to number two and established their career. In between touring over the next year, Spectre would have them recording many songs while choosing which ones to release and which ones to hold back. You could start seeing the, uh, the, the, the not creepiness, but just the controlling manner that Phil was probably going through. Mm-hmm. having this like love for Ronnie and just, you know, it's like he wants to make her a star, but at the same time, he doesn't want anybody else to have her. 
They continued mm-hmm. to put out singles and tour, but despite their early popularity, Spectre's insecurity, yep, I was right, with being outshined and his likely infatuation with Ronnie and fear of losing her kept them from allowing the Ronettes to really grow with their contemporaries. Dude, this shit's going to fuck you up. He even kept Ronnie from playing with the Ronettes during their tour with the Beatles. So they, they, they're asked to they're asked to headline not headline, they're asked to open up for the Beatles, the biggest band yeah. in the world. And and he let every other member perform except for Ronnie, the lead singer. That is the most ridiculous. Jealous shit. crazy. Yeah. I feel like we're not this isn't an episode about the Ronettes. This is an episode about men who need help. It's like it's like saying, "Hey, we're gonna do a live, <laughs> we're gonna do a live, a live Zoom recreation of the movie Aliens, and not inviting Sigourney Weaver." Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you need yeah. Sigourney. All right. In 1967, after years of declining popularity, they called it quits. Soon after, each Ronette got settled down or married, most notably Ronnie to Phil Spector. Um, and then, I mean, there's just so much shit. Because she was, this is, I'm going to try to consolidate the rest of this, but after years isolated with Phil, where he barely let her record, she finally left him in 72 and attempted to form a new Ronettes after Estelle and Edra passed, but it just never happened. I come to find out, a little bit of research, is uh, this, she had to escape from Phil Spector's house. He had adopted a child for her, which, of course, she loved. And he adopted twins for her. After the first one. And he did it. And he gave it to her on her birthday. Birthday. Yes. So two. Yeah. But giving her two kids on her birthday. He took all of her shoes so she couldn't leave. And she had to escape. And when this was all said and done, she had to sign over all of her rights to all the Ronette songs. She got let me see $25,000 and a used car and a monthly alimony of $2,500 for five years that was the only thing she got because he threatened to kill her if she tried to take more which is ridiculous which we know now he can do Um, yeah I wonder what those amounts are with inflation because that was in 72. I mean, $2,500 a month in alimony sounds like a very little bit of money, but I also know that's worth something. Yeah. Like the other, like a few weeks ago, I watched like the Lifetime movie about the Clark sisters and I realized that the Clark sisters, which I had never in my life, are you know who the Clark sisters are? Vaguely. They're, they're, they're like a gospel group. I never, yeah. they're like a, the biggest selling gospel group, right? And I had never heard of them before, but this movie was good. But the sister that wrote all the songs, she traded in all of her publishing for a Cadillac. One yeah. Cadillac in like the <laughs> 70s or something. I'm like, what was so great about Cat? You know, so I don't know if $2,500 in 72 was... Like is that equivalent to I think that's money. No, now? that's money. You living good off twenty five hundred dollars in okay. so, dude, movies were I think they were maybe like forty cents. So yeah, dude, okay. you're, you're doing all right. You're not struggling. Um but obviously, you know, she turned out okay. Uh Estelle passed away in two thousand and nine. Um Ronnie had uh, some career revivals, uh, like I said, with Eddie Money. Uh, and in 2007, uh, after years of being edu- eligible but blocked by Ronnie's vengeful ex-husband, Phil, 
they were finally inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is funny. During his murder trial. <laughs> so, like, the second that started, you know Ronnie was like, come on, come on, come on, file the paperwork. All right, can you get the stamp approval? Get a comptroller. Click it. All right, perfect. We good. Get us in. Get us in. He gonna get me. He gonna get me with that crazy wild hair. Listen, uh. I, I feel this record, and I don't know if, if you agree with me, but after looking at who wrote the songs, this record is based around, is based around, um, Ronnie's incredible voice, which sounded after listening to all these girl groups, nothing sounds like Ronnie's voice. She has a certain tone and the incredible wall of sound production that Phil Spector with all of his craziness. Phil is a genius, genius producer. Do you know about the wall of sound? Do you know what that is? No, I don't know about the wall of sound, but let me just tell you, my first introduction to Phil Spector was when I was a very little kid, my parents took us to the movies to see what's love got to do with it. Okay. And I remember that scene where he goes and some somebody named Phil Spector wants to work with Tina Turner. And I don't realize what a big deal it is because I know nothing about them at the time. Right. Yeah. And then I and Ike says, you hear that? Phil Spector want to work with Ike and Tina. And Phil Spector <laughs> was like, no. I want to work with Tina. (laughs) And I was like, ooh, the shade. (laughs) He's like, why don't you want to work with me? And then Phil's like, wipe wipe that cocaine off the, off your left nostril. But I mean, those were two, those were two of the same men in, in, in just different parts of the world. Yeah. You know, they were two men. They controlled these amazing women. Yeah. And capitalized off these amazing women. So what's the wall of sound? You know, well, the wall of sound is is where uh, Phil uh, throws Ronnie into a room and it's so soundproof that no, I'm kidding. I was kidding. <laughs> your, your face. No, it's, 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 it was a Phil Spector production technique where he gets a bunch of musicians in a room. And I'm talking, he'll have um, like three people on piano. He'll have a heart player. He'll have everything that gets him in this big room. It creates this huge, dense sound. And then they all play together. And, and, and all of it, uh, because it's so full, will cover up any minor imperfections. And uh, he went on to do that with the Beatles. Uh, mm. I wish I had other people, but but I feel like this, and I don't know if you agree. It's like they the Ronettes are in a sense a girl group. They're they're formed by themselves, but Phil sees the what he can do with Ronnie. He sees what he can do with the rest of them. He cleans them up, gets, puts the makeup a certain way, a hair a certain way, and he writes these songs that you know are incredible so i feel there's a you know i don't think the ronettes become the ronettes without phil specter and i also don't think phil becomes phil specter without, without the, ronettes. the ronettes so it's it's a weird balance no i mean i would i would totally totally agree with that and i think that you find a lot of celebrities like that in in real life like they're the, the very person, and I think this is like life period, your best quality is also your worst quality. Yeah. You know? And so sure. I think that, I think that that's, that's just another version of it. Oh, I, I you know, it, it's, it's the same thing where I've met certain comedians that have such a deep reference bank are such brilliant joke writers, but they're so awkward because they're on the spectrum. Do you know what I mean? And I, I feel like sometimes yeah. to be a genius uh, you you have to be out there. You have to, 
you know, be a little crazy to be able to experiment. The idea of bringing in this many people into one room to play at the same time probably had other producers like, why would you do that? But Phil knew all along because he saw outside of the box, you know. But you know what? As much as he had the wall of sound, for some reason, the thing that I hear the most distinct on every single record is the tambourine. (laughs) <laughs> like that that one person just that was Estelle dude that was Estelle's contract she's like you better mic, you better mic this goddamn tambourine so I'll walk I'll walk it'll just be the Rons and not the Ronettes you want just the Rons <laughs> get the Ronettes exactly also you know every single song was about like undying love yes yeah, well, let's hear. Let's, I, that, it's, let's let's actually let's dig into a few of these songs, okay? Okay. All right. Okay. So, so the record because you're 100 percent right, and and also I I feel like, well, I feel like Phil was so infatuated with Ronnie, it just comes out in some of these songs. Uh, he wrote. Well, he's most so of infatuated these. with yeah. her, he made her sing about her infatuation with, with him. him. Exactly. All right, so it opens with Walking in the Rain, and this was the single release right before the album. It was their highest charting song at number 23 since Be My Baby. Uh, Peter, play a little taste. Sometimes we At first, you're like, this just sounds like every other fucking girl group. And then, you know, there's there's little moments in these songs that that just like, I don't know, they just twingle my dangles. They just do something to me that just like, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, wow, this is all squiggly wiggly. So the funny thing about this is there's a thunderstorm sound effect that earned the engineer Larry Levine a Grammy nomination, which I think thought was really weird because as you listen to the song you hear all these thunderstorm no- noises and I'm like this is kind of cheese ball do you know what I mean this is the thought why, like why do yeah. we need that and, it, and yeah. it's just like what if what if since like he got a Grammy nomination for recommending you know putting like thunder in this song like he just started recommending <laughs> sound effects when it just didn't make sense to the song <laughs> he's just like and the girl's like you know this song is about my mother passing when I was a child and Larry's like you know what would really just kick this up a notch. The sound of a low-pressure system weather pattern in the background. She's like, I just don't really know why we would need that. He's like, come on. (laughs) Come on. It's a Larry Levine staple. Put the sound of hail in this song. (laughs) You And you know what else, too? What? Okay, if this if the song is like called "Walking in the Rain," and it's it's essentially about like the first time you meet that person that you're gonna love, right? Or like the first date or something like yeah. that, right? You know how good that date gotta be going for you to hear thunder and lightning and still be like, "Yep, <laughs> I'm looking in his dude, eyes, I'm, I'm, I, and we walking in the dude, rain." I'm, I'm ending the date the second I feel a light mist. I'm like, "All right, that was a good exactly. night." You want to call quits? You want to just- exactly, but it started <laughs> hailing on this date, and they were like, nope, love conquers Have all. Have you ever kissed anybody in the rain? You ever had that romantic moment? In the weather systems, not like I, not 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 like I guess I've kissed kissed somebody in the rain, but it never felt like the romantic comedy. What, that, well, I was hoping I asked you that, and you were like, "Well, one time I gave uh, a guy a hand job in a in a blizzard," but I mean that's a different story. Oh no, 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 no. 
I've I've never had a notebook moment. Yeah, I remember notebook when they when they kissed in the rain. I've never seen the notebook, but I know I know, <gasps> but I know. Listen, I know exactly what you mean because I know I I want an undying love. I've I've had moments <sighs> of just pure beauty like that. But it seems like I mean they make it look good in the movies, but it seems real sloppy. Because I mean, think about it. Some kiss, some people kiss like wet anyway. Like their kisses are overly wet. Now just imagine like the rain. Women, we put on makeup sometimes when we go on dates. Now my whole foundation is flowing down my neck. And also, is this is just might be a stupid white person question, but I'm assuming uh, black women that have their hair done do not want to get it wet, right? Most of them, yeah. Most of them probably. If it's natural hair, like if it's hair like my hair right yeah. now, then it's okay to get yeah, it yeah, wet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if it's a straight style, probably yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's no fucking way, dude. I, I don't yeah, know. I, no I grew way. up in the Washington, D.C. area. I don't think I've ever seen a black woman in the rain. I'm not going to lie. I, I, and, I've, <laughs> and I've been around them. All right, let's, let's, let's move on to all right, so this song. This song is the one that made me a fan of the Ronettes. Actually, it was this moment right here that completely stopped me in my tracks. Peter, uh, play minute 105 of So Young. Oh. So literally I'm working out in in my quarantine gym and I'm listening to this in my headphones and first two songs come and go this came on and I mean Zainab like I was like it was like the breath was taken out of me because of that part because that part moved me and touched me so much Really? Yeah. Why? Well, music affects me a little bit differently than I think most people. If I cry, music is usually a big part of it. It's just the most beautiful thing in the world to me, hence why I'm doing the podcast. But there, there's something about it. I just maybe it was the fact that, you know, there's certain key changes or note, note, note choices. I don't know if that's the word that are just so brilliant. That you're like, oh yeah, that that right there. I want more of that. It's it's like, I mean, the only way to explain it, it's like, it's like you know, taking a Molly pill and sticking it in your asshole the first time. <laughs> you're like, you're blown away by how hard you're rolling, and you're like, how how have I never experienced <laughs> butt plugging this Molly pill? Not everybody's gonna connect with that, but the people, the, all the Kadugals out there that 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 are connecting with that statement are like that motherfucker is spot on. <laughs> I have no idea what that life is like, but I hear yeah, you. But it's but you know what it is? It's just that it's beautiful. It's such a beautiful moment in that song that it, it's like the fact that I read that other people covered that song prior to them. I was like, there's no other version but the Ronettes version. That's I don't ever want to hear another song because it's that perfect. I um so something happens a little bit different to me when I when I listen to the Ronettes and I think that it happened with this song also. They they are very literal in my opinion. Sure. Like the song she she's basically saying I'm so young like I'm in love but I'm so so young I'm so so young I can't marry anyone because I'm so so young and I I found myself like listen listening to it while when I was in the bathroom and I was like yeah that's so true like throughout the years I've heard all of these like true Hollywood stories about somebody marrying like oh my god did you know they married them when they were 15 and it's like what who let them do yeah. that but Ronnie was like I can't I just I'm so young now there's no way I can 
can accept your marriage yeah. proposal. I'm just so yeah. young. Let me ask you, because you mentioned it earlier, you're, you're brought up in this extremely strict religious family. You know, how, yeah. how were your parents with you dating when you were younger, when you were still under that house? Oh, non-existent. My first, um, my first known boyfriend to my parents was, um, when I was about 16 years old. Um, so I was like a junior in high school. And I remember when my father found out, he told me to give him my boyfriend's number. He was going to call the cops on him. Really? And I was like, <laughs> He's yeah. Like, I was going to take the girl to the movies. I'm just trying to go see Home Alone 2, okay? What's the problem? <laughs> He he threatened to call the cops. And so for me, I was like, you'll never get this number. There's no way you're getting a, a, a phone number, a, pay, a, a beeper number, a cell. There's no way you're getting this out of me. And then I'll never forget, I made it through the ind- entire day fighting with my father to not give him any of my boyfriend's contact information. Yeah. And at the end of the night, my boyfriend calls the house phone. <sighs> <laughs> calls the house phone. I'm like, of all the days, it's like a moment for, for Breaking call. Bad. That's like not even. Yes. That's like part of like a TV show that you're like, what the fuck are you doing? No, don't go in there. <laughs> like, yeah, he. My father got on the phone with his with my boyfriend's mom at the time uh-huh. and told them that they didn't want me over there. Like you know that he forbid me to be in a relationship, and if they didn't want my father to call the cops on their son who is also my age like maybe a year older than me maybe 17 at the time um then then they need to also work with them to keep work with my parents to keep us apart but that just made us make out in the staircase in a stairwell Uh, yeah dude that's uh, anytime i've never had parents say not date somebody but that it's the it's the love that you can't have, and now it's like now it's your your parents are basically writing a romance novel. Exactly, like they're by stopping that kind of shit. It's just like if you don't want your kid to do pot, you know, you know, or drink is like you know you can't not say well, especially with drinking, you can't say you can never drink. You got to introduce it to him, show him that it's responsible. I think there's a way. I mean, of teaching a kid, especially somebody, what were you fifteen, sixteen? 16. You're 16 years old. I mean, you're a young adult. Like, you, you're illegal enough to drive. I think you're illegal enough to, you know, be mature enough to have an innocent relationship. You know, I don't know. But my, my, I came, I came from the household of no, there's, 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 you're, in, you're a kid and then you get married. And there's nothing in between that. If there is anything between that, that happens out the house. Meaning if you think you're grown, if you think you're grown enough to date, then you're grown enough to leave this house. Yeah. So as long as you're living in this house, you're either you're leaving it to get married. That's it. Yeah. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of that one time on tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. 
All right, let's jump to let's jump to track four, okay? So, because this was another one that really stuck out to me, the best part of breaking up. Uh, so the last song that we talked about, So Young, had the part, which is the shit, but then they drop this moment right here, and it is straight Dougal. Peter, kick it. The best part about that whole this whole little segment is that they fake end the song later in it, but then they drop that part again. And it just made me realize. So I'm listening to the record like the first time and I'm like, I've been wowed twice. Like wow moments <laughs> that stopped me in my tracks twice in the first four songs, and we still haven't even gotten to the song that I know. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like this is where I'm really starting to vibe with this record. Uh, I, I'm I'm really starting to see why this album needs to be on this list. Mm-hmm. I agree. I totally agree with that. After a few Ronettes recordings didn't go well, Phil Spector began losing interest until he started working on this song. His enthusiasm for it was contagious, and that helped this recording reach top 40, uh, their third consecutive in a year. Uh, so I, I read the lyrics to the song. There's one little line that kind of threw me off. Um, Ronnie says... Well, it makes no difference who was wrong, just as long as I'll be with you. And uh, in my 40 years on this earth, no woman has ever said that to me unless she was wrong in the argument. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I... (laughs) No woman I've dated. Not even girls I haven't dated. It's just like, I've never heard that in my life. But a great song, nonetheless. Um, yeah, that sounds like something that I would say the moment I realize I'm wrong. Well, it doesn't matter who's wrong. Yeah, All yeah. that matters is that we're going to be together, it's right? Like, yeah, it's like, but no, but you, 100%, you know, fucking shouldn't take, should have taken the dog out and the dog shit on the floor. Listen, it's nobody's fault. We're here together. It's fine. Okay. All right, let's jump to Be My Baby. All right, so this is the hit. This is this the hit. This Phil Spector, Jeff Berry, Ellie Greenwich song was their first released single a year before the record and their biggest hit going to number two and basically making their dreams come true. The the thing that really sticks out because this whole song is amazing, but I, I really think that the thing that makes it incredible is the intro from Wrecking Crew drummer Hal Blaine. Peter, play uh, the intro to the song. This song is so good. Like, it, you hear this song, and it's so time-stamped that it takes you back to the era that this came out. Do you know what I mean? It's like you can almost completely, you just feel it. Yes. So it takes me back every single time. The moment the intro plays, it makes me feel like, I, and I never want to be here except on this song. It makes me feel like I want to be um, in a segregated gym at a school dance <laughs> waiting to do some, you know, I just feel like at the, you know, they used to wear like, I don't know, circle skirts and jump up into, you know, like it just really makes me, I feel like, I feel like since like the eighties, ever since we saw like school dances and things like that, I feel like it all stemmed from songs like this and this type of music. But the dopest part to me about this song is 
there's a moment and I love this when they do it in every song, but in this song, they tease you. There's a moment towards the end where it drops, the beat drops and they give you the intro again. And it's like, Oh shoot. Yeah. It's about to get. And then she goes back into just being <laughs> real chill, like be my little baby. And it's just so like, I think it's, I think it's like one of those moments in the song that gets you ready. Like, Oh, if we did a remix, this is where we would start the remix. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, 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 it's, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a pretty it's a pretty great song. Well, the song the song was remixed. This is actually really cool. So uh, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, this is his favorite song, and he was so influenced by this song that the Beach Boys recorded "Don't Worry, Baby" uh, almost as like the male the male like version of this. Here, oh. I want you to hear this. I want because it's it's Zaynab. It's it's the it's almost the exact same song. I mean, that's damn near the same fucking song. It's it's great. You know what it's you know what it reminds me of? Do you remember when TLC that's did all uh, I was thinking Scrubs? No scrubs. Yes. <laughs> There's Scrubs by I'm thinking of Destiny's Child, right? Whatever that song was. Somebody did hanging out the front no, side of your yeah. best friend's ride. Yeah, and then, TLC. And then another. Yeah, I fucked it up. But yeah, oh wait, so TLC, TLC was no was scrubs. No right? scrubs. No, okay. I don't want no scrubs. A scrub is a guy that can't get no love from me. No love from hanging me. out the passenger side of his best friend's but ride. There's a guy version of that. You, we, we, we both got yeah. it. We know what we're talking about. We, we, first of all, we're spending way too much time talking about these guys no that scrubs, no one's given a no fuck about. Scrubs, in life. No scrubs. That was the Ronette's edition. Another first for this was this was actually the debut recording of Cher, who accompanied her boyfriend, musician Sonny Bono, to the session. Uh, a backup vocal- vocalist didn't show up, so Phil recruited Cher, and she went on to sing backups on almost all of the Ronette mm. singles. And I don't know if everybody knows who Cher is, but she went on to have this incredible career, which is really fucking cool. Yeah, man. I mean, it's kind of like Sigourney Weaver being in being in Annie Hall, just having this little tiny like background scene. Yeah. Yeah, because I think I would. I think you could uh, argue with anybody. You, if you ask a hundred people on the street, they'd know Cher before they knew the Ronettes. Yeah, let me ask you because Cher was a backup first. When have you had to wait your turn in your career while you let somebody else, you know, pass you in a sense? Like, did you ever have to take a back seat for the long run? Mm, no, I don't think so. Actually, I think that I mean, or maybe right now is the back seat. I don't know, but. I feel like <laughs> I feel like with the moment I got five, the moment I got like ten minutes, I was ready to feature, and I, I had to wait a little while for that. But I but I still feel like on a grand scale of comedians' careers, I still feel like I featured pretty early. Like I was probably like headlining clubs like four years in. So yeah. I don't think that that's. Yeah. I think that I've been lucky. No, I. It's you know, it's always it's always funny. It's like. Some people just have those turns very quickly, which, which, you know, disassociates you from being an open mic comic to being an actual comic and you almost skip these steps. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to, uh, you baby, because this was another song that had that moment that really stopped me. Uh, Peter play 43 seconds in.
So you were talking about how this is an album based around like uh, obsession, where they're taking these lyrics are, are so literal. I pulled this from it. Uh, she says, and now that you're my guy, I'm going to live and die for you. Uh, Phil 100% wrote that part. Phil 100% put a knife to her throat and forced her to sing it. <laughs> you better sing that shit. But he was a, yeah, I don't even know what it is. I don't think I've ever heard his actual voice. Have you, have you been in an out of control relationship like that before or, or any kind of situation? I have been, uh, um, yeah, I was with some, uh, a guy who had, I'd call it anger issues. And what's crazy is he was the rebound. So I should have walked away really quick because he was the rebound. But he was also very nice just with anger issues. Like he'd do everything you wanted. He just like will yell at you and try and kill you while doing it. You know, it'd be like, I got you vitamins. Yeah. Take these vitamins. I'm like, uh, thank you. Um, I do. <laughs> I hear you. You All right, I'll take the goddamn glucosamine. Chill out. Like, I mean, I mean, Chill out. It's a big pill. <laughs> um, but but I got out of there. What what got me to get out of there was as much as I was in like compromising uh, scenarios with him, it wasn't for some reason. I thought that I could handle it. But then I heard about the same compromising scenario or kind of like abusive scenario. Um, with him and another woman, and that's the thing that made me go, "Oh no, no, no! Wait a second, I got to get out of here." Yeah. So. Yeah, I, 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 I never really had. Uh, I wouldn't even call it obsession, where it was scary. But I dated a girl early on in stand up where she just wanted my time. Mm -hmm. She had no. She had no like. I don't want to say no friends, but like I almost I was her life. And if I wanted to leave, it was after four nights not doing stand up to hang with her. And we were living mm -hmm. together to Zainab. She she would be like, where are you going tonight? And I'm like, I'm going to do the Sunset Grill open mic. I like I have to I'm a comic. I have to do stand up. And then she would like flip out, you know, and stuff like that. When we had these breakup fights that eventually we get back together. It was a lot of that, like, I'll die without mm. you type stuff. Oh, that's so scary. You know? So very scary, man. And, you know, it's it's it happens at a time that I also feel like I wasn't mature enough to process it and and be able to calm her down. All I did was just throw gasoline on the flames like I, I got to go. I gotta go. And you can't you do that. You know what's that. so funny about that? I'm sure <laughs> if her friends talked to her or somebody like a dating coach gave her an interview, she'd say, I want an ambitious guy. I want a guy that is a go-getter. I want a guy that can, you know, but then you get in a relationship and when the guy is ambitious or when the guy is pursuing his career, you're like, wait a minute, where are you going without yeah. me? It's like, yeah. didn't you say you wanted this? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've, I've contradicted myself so many <laughs> times in my past relationships that now it's like, like I, I almost like I'm I'm going on at least five to eight dates before I have making up my mind on my feelings for the girl. Like you just I'm going to ride it out <laughs> as much as possible until it's like it's like, OK, you know what? I'm I do want to be with this girl. She has the qualities. We're vibing. It's good. It's just like I've rushed so quickly into it where I've had. It's obsessing up front. And then you realize shortly after it's like, nah, man, we we should not should not be together. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? But at this point, we're now we're a year and a half yeah. into it, and you're like, fuck. Yeah. Ooh. All right, moving on. We got Baby, I Love You. 
It's another one that stuck out to me. It's basically employs a denser but similar structure, theme, and style to Be My Baby. Only went to number 24, but it definitely has the Be My Baby vibe. So we talked about how they're just duplicating shit over and over mm-hmm. again. Check this one out. Peter, play 124. <laughs> So after Be My Baby blew up, okay, the Ronettes were booked to be on Dick Clark's Caravan of the Stars tour in 1963. But Phil kept Ronnie home to record this follow-up. Nedra Estelle took Nedra's sister Elaine, a former member, as Ronnie's replacement for the tour. That is the most insane shit ever. The Like, how can you do that? Like, how can you promote... Uh, you're you're the, you're the lead singer of the band. You're the face of the organization, right? You're the voice. One of the most, if not the most important thing in in a song recording. And you take the lead singer out of that where all these people have paid all this money to see, especially not like a bullshit tour. Dick Clark's, you know, in 1963, it's huge. The only real, like, comparison to that is, do you know anything about, uh, like, Oasis, the band Oasis? Mm-mm. Now, okay, so Oasis was like at this huge superstardom back in the '90s, and they they were supposed to do MTV Unplugged, which is a big deal. And at the recording, Liam Gallagher, the lead singer, said his throat hurt, and he just sat in the rafters and drank and smoked cigarettes while his brother, who was not the singer, who was the songwriter, very very equally important part, while he had to play guitar and now sing for his brother. It's like. No one wanted to see that. Like, just fucking don't do the tour if the whole band can't be. <laughs> but that shows you how spoiled we are now. Like, maybe like a year ago, I remember Drake, like there was a, a festival. And like, Drake is like a huge artist, right? Yeah. But everybody, they thought the special guest was going to be Frank Ocean. Okay. And Drake walked out. And Drake is arguably a bigger artist than Frank Ocean. And everybody booed Drake. Because they, that's not who they came to see. They, they thought that they were going, that, that, that was an added addition. You know, I mean, that was a bonus to yeah. the festival and they still booted. I think that, I think that it just shows how, how much people wanted to see live performance back at that time, how much people wanted to hear the music, regardless of who sang it. Oh, not to mention they didn't have that many, like it wasn't that many, like, TV appearances and stuff yeah. like that, right? So how would you even know if it sounded the same? You're actually that's actually a really good point. Um I don't know. I just think you know, I I just think that in the listen, if it happened nowadays, first of all, if that should happen now, like you paid to see the Ronettes after the quarantine and Ronnie doesn't show up and you've been mm-hmm. in self-isolation for 4 or 5 months until this fucking virus is done, People are going to riot. If you pay for a Drake concert and Drake does a shitty performance, like like we're talking like two months after the quarantine, oh, people are going to fucking go nuts. It, it doesn't even have to be after the quarantine. You post somebody else on your Instagram feed and your followers are like, nope, that's not what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. All right. Final song I want to talk about is Chapel of Love. Um, because this one threw me for a little loop. I don't know if a lot of people uh, did the same, had the same reaction as I did. So the first thing I thought 
when this song came on the album, I was like, I don't remember it sounding like this. I was like, this isn't the this isn't the version I know. And then immediately found out that the one that I'm familiar with, and probably most people for going to the chapel, Chapel of Love, is the 1964 Dixie Cups hit version. Uh, so Spectre, Barry, and Greenwich originally recorded it by Darlene Love and then the Ronettes. Phil wasn't happy with either version and gave it to the Dixie Cups, which pissed the Ronettes off because it became an incredibly huge hit from the Dixie Cups. And also, the Dixie Cups version is way better. Uh, but the one thing I will say about the this version is that the Ronettes go hard at the end. Peter, play the ending. I felt like that was the perfect end, especially if this is going to be your only album that you ever put out. Because... Like I said, the first the first song was Walking in the Rain, right? And so that's essentially, let's just say that's the first date. And now all the rest of the songs are all of these these undying confessions of uh, these confessions of undying love, right? And then finally we get to the end, and they're getting married. And I just felt, I mean, I've it's it's rare that I hear an album and you hear the last song and you're like. Yep, it's finished. And I feel it's like watching the, the series finale of yeah. the show. Well, Do you get what I'm saying? I felt no. like I felt like, oh yeah, yeah, we okay, yeah. we're finished. What a perfect what a perfect like observation. I didn't even think about that, is that it's just been all this love and then they get married and then the Ronettes never release another album after that. Wow. Yeah. All right, but you're you know, but that kind of reminds me of your Amazon series that's starting <laughs> now, but about coming to an end. People are dying and then they're uploaded into these virtual hotels for their afterlives. Would you want upload to be possible? Um, I, I think that I would be scared to do it, but I would want it to be possible because I think ultimately you upload to download. Right. And I think there's, I think most of us are very much in to um, living for eternity, if we could, right? Um, And so I think that that's kind of what Upload is uh, suggesting is possible. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, there's people that I would really want to talk to. Like I binge watched a bunch of Malcolm X stuff the other day, and it would be so great if somebody had Malcolm X's consciousness just in some virtual afterlife. And I could just tune in and ask him some questions that he really is answering. I think that like in instances like that, that would be extremely cool. Little do you know that while you're asking uh, Malcolm X this question, (laughs) inside the computer, his soul is like, "Ah, please kill me. Ah!" And he's just like, but all you hear is you have to love everyone. Everyone. "Ah, Please kill me. Hey, this is Scott from Fly on the Call. Each week I speak to a different musician, whether they're in an established band like Silverstein or the Wonder Years, or band on the rise like Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel, or Meet Me at the Altar. We discuss music and lyrics, the successes and challenges of being in a band, and more, as we get to the core of each artist. The show features musicians of diverse genres and backgrounds, so there's always a chance I'll be talking to your new favorite band. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. 
no, I, I, you know what? That's a really, really great thought. It's just that if we could keep the, you know, because listen, I, I always like right now as a 40 year old man, if you ask me if how I feel about death, I'm going to be like, oh, I'm super afraid because I'm 40. But when I'm 90, I'm probably like, dude, it's time to go, dude. Like, just yeah. just take out my take out my little sim- synopsis. So people can ask me questions, put it in that Mac over there and just let yeah. the body go. But here's the thing with a virtual afterlife. If you're wealthy enough, it can be whatever you want. Yeah. So you wouldn't be functioning at your 90-year-old decrepit level. You wouldn't be living. You know what I'm saying? Your, yeah. your joints wouldn't be tired because it's 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 virtual. Okay. All right. Well, you know. Yeah. So. Or I'm not afraid anymore. <laughs> sign me up. I'm in. Do you want to? Wanna... I mean, I'm definitely not going to sign up for the beta version of this. No, God, no. It's got to be well tested. Well tested. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. You, do you want to do some facts and get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. Facts and all the facts and the facts and the... <laughs> all right. When Ronnie and Phil Spector divorced, he reportedly delivered her a huge alimony payment with a truckload of dimes, which is the most petty, vindictive shit I've ever heard. So basically, he gave her the 20, you know, the 250, you know, everything was $25,000. He paid that all in dimes. Um, I think that that's a fact. That is a, no, you don't have to answer yes or no. This is, oh. <laughs> that is a fact. That is a fact. It's, these are all, these are all facts. Yo, that is a different level of petty. And I know who hated him the most was the bank teller who got it ready for him. Yeah, but you know what? If I was the bank teller, I'd be like, fuck yeah, man. Only one customer for the next two hours. I don't got to worry <laughs> about shit. It's like I, in the middle two of this, hours? I can go take. Dude, you figure counting $25,000 worth of dimes, that's like three days worth of work that you exactly. can then just, you can just, you don't have to be the teller. You don't have to deal with people. I actually think that the, 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 the teller was probably like, yo, I'm down, dude. This is going to be the, my next four days of my life. Fine. I don't have to deal <laughs> with some of these fucking farmers only customers. All right. Let me ask you this. What's the most vindictive thing you've ever done? Um, I so I'm known to like throw things away. Like I, it's sometimes you know you break up and you think that that's the final part of the breakup and it's not. And I I'll, anything you've ever left in my house, just know that it's in the incinerator. Really. And so if we get back together, you might still want it. And it's I'm, I'm trying to get out of that, but. I throw things away very easily, but the most vindictive thing I did somehow, and I don't know how this was so easy to me. I did have a crazy period in my life. Um, I just kept turning my ex-boyfriend's cell phone off. Yeah. <laughs> like every 15 minutes, like every, like I would just, t- I would just do things that were a constant nu- nu- nuisance. Like yeah. he got on a, he got on a connecting flight um, and he got on a connecting flight and I canceled the flight before he got to the connection. So when he got to the connection, the the next flight he couldn't get on because it was canceled. <laughs> Dude. I, that was years ago. That was like 10 years ago. Okay, good. I thought you were about to be like, that, that was like three weeks ago. I mean, yeah. I know. I am way beyond that person. Way beyond. Well, he kept getting, you know what? You didn't realize, but you just kept hooking him up with frequent flyer miles. You know what I mean? Every time you cancel, you still got that ticket still there. So he's, you know, that's God. That's a, what a fucking shit move on your part, dude. I've, I don't think I've ever done yeah, anything like that. Yeah, but I had a lot of time. <laughs> I had a lot of time on my hand. Right now, if I wanted to do it, I couldn't. You know, the way life is going, thank no. God. But yeah. at that time, I didn't, I didn't had no purpose no, except to make his life miserable. 
I love it. All right. <laughs> On their first UK tour in 1964, the Ronettes had the Rolling Stones open. And on their second, in 1965, they opened for the Beatles. It was during that 1964 tour with the Rolling Stones that Ronnie became enamored by and had an affair with Keith Richards, which uh, I think, I don't think I knew that already, but I was looking at pictures of Ronnie and I saw a lot of her hanging out with like some really, really hip rock stars. And I saw her around mm-hmm. Keith. And then I read uh, that she actually had a crush on him for a long time. So I want to ask you this. Who was your biggest crush growing up? Um, hmm. Ooh, I can't remember... Ooh, I remember my cousin telling me that I had a crush on like the DeBarges, but then I Googled the DeBarges and I was like, there's no way. Wait, which one's um, DeBarge? Is DeBarge, what are they saying? Chico. I, I mean, I don't even know. Like, I didn't even know who they were. That's why when he said that I had a crush on them, I was like, I just, I don't even know who, who that is. Um, and then I looked them up and I was like, no. Okay. I mean, what other? Is there a girl in there too? I mean, they were a family, like an entertainment family. This thing, I guess. So wait, you were attracted to all of them? Well, I I don't think I was attracted to any of them, but I'm just saying that my cousin used to say you you you, you, you like the debarges. And I and and I know that that can't be true because when he said it, I had no idea who they were. Yeah. Oh, wow. I only know who they na- are now because I googled them. <laughs> I just want to imagine you rubbing one out to like the tenor in debarge. You're like, "God, why what him?" I'm the rhythm of the night. Oh my God, no! The debar- they that looks too feminine for me to like. <laughs> um, this was fantastic, Zaynab. Thank you so much, darling, for coming on. I had such a blast. Um, yeah, dude, this was fucking dope. What I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Zaynab Johnson. For all things Zainab, go to her website, ZainabJohnson.com. Follow her on all social media, at Zainab Johnson. Listen to her podcast, Honest Tea, with Z. Watch her on 100 Humans on Netflix. And guys, make sure you're watching Amazon's Upload. It's produced by Greg Daniels, the guy that did The Office. It's dope. I watched it. You'll love it. Now. We just listened to the Ronettes from 1964. This week, our music director, Matt Pinfield, chose Leanne Lahabas. She's a singer-songwriter guitarist who was raised in London, England, the daughter of a Jamaican mother, and a Greek father who has appeared on songs with Alt-J, Tourist, and even Prince was a fan before he passed away. Listen to her new single, Bittersweet, streaming now on Spotify. And check out the link on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you're in a band and you were directly influenced by one of these artists, we want your music. Send it to the 500. We'll put it on the website. We'll play it on the show. If you send it, if you wrote it and it's inspired and it's good, we'll play a little taste at the end, guys. Send it to our website, 500podcast at gmail.com. Next week, it's our third straight week dedicated to the women of the 60s girl group era. It's the best of the girl groups week. As we dive into this 1990 double album, there's a lot of songs on it. 
Extra points if you listen to the whole thing. Because it's worth it. You got some homework to do. Listen to both albums on Spotify. Stay fleecy. Dougal. Dougal. Players. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Next Chapter Podcasts.